Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, But but also, we don't want to be your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church. Um, in case you don't know, I'm Cody. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the mean one. Hey, hey. Yeah, they, it is true. Um, welcome to a kind of part two of um, this second bucket that we moved into in the book of Romans. And this particular bucket that we're in is culture wars, and, and we're in this second look at this. And it, it, we've titled this as we kind of looked at the text um, that we're in in uh, Romans chapter 1. It's kind of this cancel culture or collapse of culture. And, and, and we titled that because we kind of got a couple different things going on. One, what we see is that the early church, um, they were canceled by their culture because they were actually, in case you don't know this, the term atheist comes from the early church portion because they were deniers of the idols that the, that the people in Rome were worshiping. Um, their household gods, their, their um, uh, statues, all these different things. And so the, the church, the early church, were the first atheists rejecting that. And so they were, they were canceled much like kind of the culture that we're in today. Today and where we stand and what we're going to look at um, is very much a, a cancel culture topic that, that this church could be canceled, I could be canceled, pastor team could be canceled, you could be canceled for being a part of our fellowship, for believing these things. And, and, and it's all because in both instances, a collapse of culture. And so that's, that's where we're at this morning. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to be reading uh, today verses 18 through 23. And I know Johan preached for an hour last week on 18 through 20. And in case you didn't know, Johan has never preached that long and he straight killed it last week. Straight killed it last week. He's not here today to revel in his goodness, but uh, he, he killed it last week. Um, so once again, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 23. And I'm going to read the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God uh, of the immortal God for images resorting, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That is the word of the Lord, church. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, and we ask that God, here in this place, that you would unveil up depraved hearts, that Lord, that we would lay them aside, and that we would seek after you, and that we know that if we seek after you, we will find you, and that today as we open up your word, may your word, um, may we allow your word to reproof and rebuke to to um, exhort us to exaltation of you have your way today in our hearts father in jesus name we pray amen so last week and as we came into the second bucket we began kind of this opening of paul kicking off a conversation um to four different groups of people and so we're going to kind of look at these four different groups of people and and right now we're in group number 1 the pagans and so paul's addressing these four groups of people and you see pagan uh, he, he's addressing the the pagan culture around the pagan culture that wants to kind of seep into the church or or you can call it if you if you understand early church history and early church writings, even before the early church, this Hellenistic in, in influence on the church, this Greek influence of polytheism. And Paul is addressing that here in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 31. Then, he, then later on, he's going to get into this second bucket, the moralists, the Gentiles, and the Jews who are, who are, who are morally conscious. And then the third group, the religionists. How, how many of you guys grew up in a, in a religionist church, right? I, I did, I did. You know, you were always going to hell, but they never were. Right, you got you 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 know anything about that? I do. Um, and then n- number four, he he's going to address the whole human race. Romans three nine through twenty. And so as we kind of unpack this 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 first group, um, I want to kind of recap quickly, but kind of cover a little bit different ground because I have to build some context, some pretext to today's text before I just hop off into verses 21, um, or yeah, 21 through 23. So, so let me kind of do that here. Last week we saw God's wrath juxtaposed to God's love, right? So Paul opens up and he talks about the gospel, which is God's demonstration, his, his redeeming acts of love, but it is also, at the same time, God's wrath being poured out, right? God the Father's wrath was poured out upon Jesus. It was excised on Jesus completely, holistically, and fulfilled God's righteous anger on the cross, Okay? And so what we see is the perfect movement there together. We cannot decouple God's wrath and God's love. They are one in and of the same. They are two sides of the same coin, if you want to look at it there. Because God cannot be a good God if he is not both 
having righteous anger or righteous wrath and also giving us good gifts. He has to be both because he can't just let sin go unpunished. He can't let sin just hang out. Make no mistake about it. Let me hear you. Uh, let me, I want you to hear me when I say this. You don't hear anything else. God is not cool with your sin. Not cool with your sin. Does, if you come to God for forgiveness, Will he forgive you? Yes. But is he okay? Is he cool? Is he down with your sin? No, he's not. Not in the slightest. He's not cool with your pride. He's not cool with your lust. He's not cool with with your gluttony. He's not cool with your perpetual lying. He's not cool with your perpetual need to slide your credit card and be in credit card debt, which leads to stress and anxiety and fear. He's not cool with any of that. So make no mistake about it. But what, what, why do we need to look into this a little bit deeper? It, it's the picture we have here is, is that God's hand, if you come back to, to, to verse, um, go to verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. All right, so what the picture that we get here is that God's hand is being held back by his own hand of love, His hand of wrath is being held back by his hand of love. And you're like, all right, wait, wait, help me. All right, let's go to the Greek. You see that word wrath there in the Greek. The word wrath in the Greek is orge. Say orge. In fact, I'm not going to go too in-depth with this. I'm going to leave this very veiled because there's a lot of kids in here, okay? So if you can't pick up what I'm about to put down, you just come see me after, and I'll put my kids in the corner while I tell you what I'm getting at. This is the original meaning of where we get the word where multi-group of people come together and do bad things. This is that original Greek meaning. But why would, why would this be in a context of anger? In the definition of this particular word, orge, there's two wraths in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. And this one right here, orge, it means that God's anger is being built up over time, over a long period of time, the way that water collects up to a dam. I want you to think about this. The wrath of God is coming, but it is organized and it is building. Do you get the picture of where we're going? Is that the wrath of God is building. God doesn't fly off the handle. That's not the righteous anger that that we see in the Testament. He doesn't lash out. He lets it collect like water, and he controls his response, waiting for the right time. Because make no mistake about it, just like I said, God's not down with your sin. There will be a day of judgment where he will pour out his wrath that has been collecting over time. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, drives home this very thought. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So right there is the perfect picture of it, is that God's righteous wrath is being stored. He hasn't poured it out. He isn't absent. He's just waiting for the appropriate time, the day of judgment. The wrath of God is coming because of what church? Why is the wrath of God coming? Well, if we, if we look back there, we see that the wrath of God is coming because the truth of God is being suppressed. 
The truth of God is being suppressed. Where is it being suppressed? In human hearts. In fact, the, this term here, suppressed in human hearts in the Greek, it, it essentially means that you're building a fence around, around the truth that you know because what the scriptures told taught us last week is that the truth of God is plain for all men, that there is no one who can say, I was ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was an intelligent designer of all life. I didn't know that God created the world. No, no, no. That general revelation has been given to everyone, that even in the distant fields of Africa or in the mountain hills of Kentucky, everyone is without excuse that he is God creator, that general revelation. But not just that, the idea in the Greek here that we see that the wrath of God is coming because the truth of God is being suppressed is like a spring. And I I got this little spring here, and I'm gonna try my best to not shoot it in your eyes, okay? But the, the imagery here in the Greek is that you would take the truth of God And you would suppress it down as tight as you possibly can to where this spring can no longer be seen. Told you guys you needed safety glasses. But that's the idea of what Paul's getting at here. Is that no one can say, I didn't know, because we all know, because God has written his his general law upon all human hearts. We know in our heart of hearts what what is right, Right? And, 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 and where we get that from is from we are created in the image of God. We are his image bearers. We have this general revelation. And so does general revelation save us, church? No. No, it doesn't. Right? General le- revelation isn't the same as salvific revelation where the, the Holy Spirit, upon hearing the good news of Christ, comes and it redeems us. It, it, it transfers us from death to life. Not the same thing. So don't, don't get those two twisted. Don't get those two mixed. We're talking about general revelation only here in this moment. And so what he's saying here is, is that we're suppressing this metal spring. The idea is not that they're unaware of the truth, but they know the truth and they're holding it back and they're detaining it from themselves. They're allowing themselves to be unbridled in their unrighteousness. That essentially they go, hey, I know that the, the deeds that I have in me are wrong, but I'm just going to build a fence around them so I can ignore it and I can do whatever the heck I want to do. So many folks in our, in, our, in our culture, in all throughout history, who have, who have had this unbridled, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do what I want, I can do bad all by myself, right? Who all falls into this trap? Who, who all falls into this trap of suppressing the truth of God? We all do. We, we, we all fall into this. Paul went on to say, that the truth of God is plain to everyone. God has given every human heart this, this particular general revelation. And we shouldn't come to this text and go, oh, that's, that's about so-and-so. No, no, this is a mirror. We have all done this very thing. We suppress the truth of God. Even if we have the salvific revelation in our lives, we have times and seasons where we go, I want to check out from God camp and I want to do me time. Right? Can we all agree on that? Like when I'm flipping through TikTok sometimes, she said, mm, she already knows where I'm going. She already knows. 
There are times I want to hang out and do me time and somebody gets on there talking about Jesus. I'm like, oh, not more Jesus. You guys are like, what? Did he just say that? Like two, three weeks ago, he's talking about poop. Now he's talking about not more Jesus. I'm real. I'm raw, man. I might be mean, but you always know where you stand. You always know where I stand. The truth is, is that we are all the same way. We try to suppress or build a fence around letting God invade other places of our lives. Because each and every one of us, we're in, in, in some way, you've got certain places, you've got boxes, you've got avenues, you've got streets in your heart that you're saying, God, that one's off limits to you. I got a roadblock on that one, Jesus. Yeah, we're gonna need you to turn around and go back into the side of my heart that I'm down with you having control over. Preach, preacher. That was a really quiet amen. God has given every human heart general revelation that they can look around and see that there is an intelligent God. The earth screams of his glory. If you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you quickly see the vastness of his glory. If you go into the mountains of Colorado and you, you look up into the, the night sky and you see the, the stars for the first time, unbridled, without light, sucking the light of the heavens away, and you, are, you, are, you, cannot, you cannot look at it and go, oh yeah, it just happened by some big bang. Although, funny story, They might have just proved last week that the Big Bang is a lie. I could get into this. I don't want to do this. But they've found now distant galaxies that suggest that they have been wrong this whole time. Just saying. So now we come into this text. That we're in this week. Verse 21. And we have to come into it with this idea of orge, the wrath of God, being suppressed. Because that is the context, that is the springboard for where we're going. So everybody, get out your finger and suppress this morning so that physical action get into your mind. Verse 21, for although they knew God. All right, they know the general revelation is there that the God creator is there. They did not honor him or give thanks to him. The fundamental basis is that they know God. What Paul, uh, what does this mean? And, and um, didn't Paul say kind of the opposite in his letters? If you're a steward of the New Testament, if you've read the New Testament, you, this could be a place where somebody comes to you and say, hey, the, the Bible contradicts itself because, because Paul in 1 Corinthians and Paul in Galatians says that they they did not know God. This former time, you didn't know God. But over here in Romans chapter one, he says that everyone is without excuse because they all know God. Right, right, right. So let's let's check this out in case you don't know. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, though through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The world did not know God. All right, what's he talking about? Go to Galatians chapter four, verse eight. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So one instance, Romans chapter one, 
He says, everyone knows God. They're without excuse. They know God. And then over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Galatians 4, they they didn't know God. There's a fundamental difference that's going on here in the Greek. And once again, I'm going to veil this language, okay? One is is to have intellectual assent to understand and know a thing about God, to know that God generally exists. The other is much more like a spouse knows their spouse and the intimate knowledge of their spouse, to know their wants, their needs, their desires, to know their love language, the way to speak to them, the way that they speak to you. And the other is just, hey, that's a person who I know about. So that's the fundamental difference that we see here in the Greek. So Paul's getting at the intellectual ascent, that everyone has this intellectual ascent. They rejected God. They didn't honor him. They rejected God. What are they specifically rejecting? His lordship over their lives. It almost always comes down to this. This is the rub for Christianity. This is the rub for people who are on the outside of the redeeming work of the cross. This is it right here, is the lordship of Christ. In fact, most of the time, what you, what you will find is when you talk to an agnostic or an atheist person, and you begin to press in to understand why that they, why that they feel the way that they feel. And, and, and you can have an intellectual debate with them. And, and you, can, you can begin to, to, to use um, 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 things such as logic and, and reason or, or um, apologetics to kind of drive them. But at the core place, most of the time, when you press them to the point that they begin to be annoyed with you, you will hear a statement like, I hate God. I hate God. And and in that moment, the logic says, hold on, how can you hate an immaterial thing that does not exist? See, the problem isn't do we believe that there is or is not a God. The problem is do we submit to his authority? That's the rub. Do we submit in faith? That's the rub. Because I don't want to submit to something I can't see. I don't want to submit to something that, that, that's 2,000 years old. How do I know it is true? That's the rub right, right there. It all comes down to submission. In the flesh, we want to be our own gods. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did wrong in the garden? Is that they said we can be like God? We can be like God. They suppressed the truth and said, I can be my own God. They rejected God. That's what he's writing to and about. A group of people who have suppressed the truth and have rejected God fundamentally. And the truth is, is this is what gets Christianity canceled in our culture today. The world says that's, that's hate speech to say that, that they're not accepted. You know, all, all truth is relative. All truth kind of leads to the same place. And the problem with that is if we could stop for 10 whole seconds and be fundamentally logical about this, we would clearly go, hey, there's three different faiths that, that are radically different that tell you the way to, the way to heaven is completely different. 
so different. They can't all be right. They can't. We can all be wrong, right? Can, can we admit that we can all be wrong? But no, we can't all be right. And, 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 and to say that, man, to, 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 it, it's hate speech to say, no, 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 I contend it's the opposite. To not proselyte, to not go declare the good news of Jesus is the definition of hate speech. In fact, if you know um, uh, Penn and Teller, the, the, the magician guys, um, um, Penn, the big one, he, he's a radical, radical atheist, radical atheist. But this is what he says in particular. He says, I do not trust any person of faith, any person of religion who does not proselyte. I do not trust them. In fact, I hate them. Why, why does he say that? Because if you don't truly believe what you believe, then you won't tell about it. But if you believe it in your core being, you do not, you cannot help but tell of what you know to be true. And so the, 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 it comes down to this. It's all about the lordship of Christ. It's like essentially saying, I have the cure to cancer. I have a vial that if you have terminal cancer, you can just drink it. And you're immediately cured. And, and everybody's like, oh, great. That's awesome. Let's work to begin to patent. And you're like, no, I'm going to keep it for myself. You'd be like, how could you? Why, why do you hate man? You're stripping fathers away from, away from their kids. You're taking moms away from their kids. You're taking husbands and spouses away. You're taking my Mimi and my Nana away from me. Well, why would you do that? That's the logic that would be then spoken about that thing. But the very truth is, is there is a greater disease that lives inside of the world, and that is sin in our heart. It is ripe. It is like a gangrene that is taking over. And we have the cure. It is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has paid the price upon Calvary so that all could be redeemed. So that's the very thing that they're rejecting here. They knew God, they knew about the truth of God, but they did not honor him or give thanks to him. They said, no, I can do it on my own. I like the paradigm that I have built. And so they rejected his lordship. And so I'm gonna ask you right here, right now in the middle of the sermon, we're gonna keep going, but do you know Jesus Christ as Lord? Because you can't confess him as savior and deny him as Lord because the two don't go hand in hand. You can't say, dear Jesus, save me from hell and say, I'll live however the heck I want for the rest of the time it is both confession and repentance confession and repentance and because of this they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark in claiming to wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images um, resembling mortal man birds and animals and creeping things I'm going to call this the great exchange the great exchange is that we have the truth of God here it's like it's like you know I've got a bag of nacho cheese Doritos. And like, man, I'm, I'm milling on these things. And somebody walks up to me and they're like, hey, try these great value brand cheese triangles. <laughs> like, honestly, if you don't know me yet, I'm bougie, okay? Just... Stay with me. I'm a pretty particular person. But if somebody does that, in the words of one of my fable friends, B, 
he'd be like, get that out of here. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. But that, that's it. Is that the truth of God and his glory and his righteousness, they've exchanged it for this fake nothingness of self-worship, of self-exaltation. And because of that, God turns them over. In fact, next week, A.B. is going to kill him and knock it out of the park as he talks about this. But in this great exchange, God says, you want to do that? Cool, go do it. Cool, go do it. And so because of that, they became fools, utter fools. They lived like fools and they claimed the whole time to be wise. They had this intellectual ascent, but yet they were dumb. Have you ever worked with people like that before? Right? I get accused of that every day. Rather than worshiping God, they exchanged it for something else. Or better put, rather than submitting their lives to God, they, 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 they looked for something else. Well, what, what is that? I, I kind of equate it to this. The real Jesus of the Bible for a plastic Jesus. For an action figure Jesus. The truth is, is, What happens when people refuse to acknowledge and depend on God? The truth is we don't stop worshiping. We simply change the object of our worship. Everybody, church, worships something. Everybody worships something. You might not call Jesus Christ the Lord of your life today. That, and, and if that's you, man, you're, you're, you're in a safe spot. We're not going to condemn you. We're, we're not going to kick you in the teeth. We're going to tell you how, how, how crazy you are. But what, what I'm going to tell you is, make no mistake about it, you are worshiping something. You are worshiping something. We exchange our worship and we begin to worship the created things versus worshiping the creator. Do, do, do you see that? So that, that's what happens. This is the great exchange that Paul's talking about, is that we're taking the, 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 the things that God can give us, p- peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and we're exchanging it for whatever the heck I want to do, I, however I want to live my life. I can talk to people however I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can eat as much as I want. I can smoke as much as I want. That's the great exchange. This particular exchange, actually Paul isn't the originator of this idea. It's actually King David in Psalm 106 verse 20. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And in in David's context, very similar that, that, that immediate context refers to the sin of Israel making a calf in Horbo and, and, and bowing down and worshiping this molten image. They, they've casted it and they set it up, they've erected it, and they begin to, to worship something that's been made with human hands. In some ways, we see there is a micro-evolution in the way that Paul is describing the great exchange here. Man starts by worshiping the observed things in creation. 
right? And if, we, if you know anthropology, if you understand the, 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 the study of history and cultures, what you'll see is you go find primitive cultures where they're worshiping totem poles, they're worshiping beetles in, in Egypt. They're, you know, in fact, they, they have lots of shrines for beetles. And, and then you see... As culture begins to progress, they begin to, to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars and their polytheism. But later, as this evolution takes full effect, what we find is that we move away from, we move away from the things that that visible eye can see and we move to where man is at the center of worship, the exaltation of self. In fact, in Paul's day, there was a cult of Caesar where the people would, would worship Caesar as a god. And before long, Caesar, the worship of Caesar and the worship of Jesus, they're competing against one another in the homage of society. Some are saying, I worship Caesar. And then some are saying, I worship Jesus. And this competing idea here. And in modern times, if I'm being honest with you, in modern times, we've outgrown this idea of crass ideology. But humanism has, has subtly injected the worship of man without the trappings. In fact, this is what we do. God is quietly ruled out and man is placed on the throne. That's the great exchange. Man is placed on the throne. I place myself. I am the chief of what I want and, and, and I can do whatever I want. Everybody worships something. Man is a religious being and if he refuses to let God have the place of preeminence in his life that is rightfully God's to have, then he will put something else in God's place. We are, we, are, we are telic beings in the fact that we, will, that we have to worship something. And if it's not God, we'll put something in God's place. We must worship something. We were created to worship the creator. And so if we reject him, we will worship something else. There has to be something that captures our imagination, our allegiance, which is the resting place of our deepest hopes, which is where we look to calm our deepest fears. Whatever that is, whatever that thing is, is what we worship and what we serve. It becomes our bottom line, the thing that we can't live without, the thing defining or validating our very existence. John Calvin has a very famous quote. It says, the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory. If we don't worship God our creator, we're going to bow down before the throne of something else. Paul is saying that the human heart loves to make a good thing into a God thing. And building off of this idea, both Paul and Calvin, I want you to hear this quote from Tim Keller. The human heart is an idol factory 
that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts defy them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security and safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Everybody worships something, and the question is, what are you worshiping? I'll be the first to say, I've fallen into the trap of the great exchange in my life as well, because I will tell you, in my career, I have great security. I have great confidence. And, and if something begins to feel like the earth is shaking, like that, that security is about to go away, I go into panic mode. I go into panic mode because, because I, I, for some reason, fall into the lie, into the trap, believing that I control my own fate. But the truth is, is I'm not the puppet master. God is. What are you worshiping? Everybody worships something. And when I ask you that question, the truth is, is many people who've, who've been in church context their whole life, their response to something like that was, I'm here, aren't I? I'm here, pastor, aren't I? I'm not worshiping any goats. I'm not worshiping any crazy idols. I'm I'm not bowing down before that. Come on. The truth is we step back. We begin to evaluate. We begin to take an inventory of our lives. We see ourselves kneeled at the altar of the little G gods all over our lives, our schedule. You know, I just want to ask you, if, 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 the, if the Holy Ghost fire of God began to fall down in this place, and I'm talking real revival where people are pouring their hearts out, and, and, and man, it, it is like the presence of the Lord is so thick like a fog, like Old Testament style, would, would you be able to stick around? Or is your, your schedule so set in place that you're so fixated that you go, no, 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 I can't do that today, God. No, 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 no. I don't have time. I don't have space for you or the Holy Spirit in my life to do something. I got to go. I got to make it to the next stop. I got to go to the next thing. Don't you know I got dinner at Mimi's? Don't you know I got dinner at Papaw's? Don't you know that we got to go do this? Some of you are looking at me and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That is a little G God in our lives. We are so stuck to our schedule that we don't have time for God to open it. Or even our kids' schedule. Man, every day there's this thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And, and by the time you get home, you, your family, you, you don't have dinner as a family. No, no, no. You stick something in the microwave and you, and you say, oh, let's eat. And you, you take a shower and you get in bed. And you nor your kids have spent any time in God's word and have spent no time in prayer because you're all worried about the schedule. Did they get to karate? Did, did they go to baseball or basketball practice? Did they go get their swing coach lessons? What about Jesus? What about the time that you need to spend with Jesus? I can tell you this, athletics, piano lessons, and all of that are little G-gods in our life if we allow them to be. Do your toes hurt yet? How about this one, man? Anybody want to talk about this one? Who gets their report every Sunday morning before church? How many of you looked at your report this morning and went, oh, 
there's no way I spent four hours a day on my phone. And the funny part about that is, is every time that I lead a small group or a D group, my, my, my guys will always say, I just can't find time to have a quiet time. I can't find time, pastor, to read my Bible. And, and when I hear that statement, I'll always go, can you please go to your phone's weekly report? I do it, don't I? I'm a clown like that. Because the truth is, is where our time and where our money at is where you're bowing your knees. I should have put that on the screen. Where you find your time and where you find your money is where you're bowing your knees. That's the little G God in your life. That's the thing that gives you security. That's the thing that's given you a euphoric feeling to allow you to get to sleep at night. That's the thing that is keeping you pressed down. That's the thing that's keeping you stressed out away from God. Not only our phones, but our friends, our family, you name it. We dump time into it and we bow our knees before it. Where our time, where our money is at is what we worship. It is the thing that we worship. The reality is, is that many of us want to worship the Jesus of suburbia and not the Jesus of Nazareth. We want the plastic action figure Jesus. We want the thing that we can control and do the thing that we want to do. We, we, we worship the Jesus of suburbia because every time we ask, he says yes. Every time we say we don't want to, he goes, okay, cool, I'm down with that. He is ride or die with you in life. But the truth is, is that Jesus of Nazareth is completely different. The Jesus of suburbia says, God has called me highly favored. Therefore, he will give me the house of my dreams. That's what the Jesus of suburbia says. But the Jesus of Nazareth, what does he say to the rich young ruler? Go sell everything you have. Go sell everything you have, for foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's the Jesus of Nazareth. The Jesus of suburbia says, if I don't like the music that's played at our church or the sermons that are preached, you can just say, I'm free to go wherever I want and find a new church and just say, I wasn't being fed there. Jesus of Nazareth says, take up your cross and die to yourself and follow me. So I asked you, are you worshiping the Jesus of suburbia, plastic Jesus, or are you worshiping the Jesus of Nazareth, the one who calls you to die to yourself, the one who says to lay your sin at his feet and to repent of them, to turn 180 degrees and not pick them up again? Where is your allegiance? Every time I have this idea, I come, come to this idea, this story of a family going into a zoo. And as they go into the zoo, they, they make the mistake of going into the gift shop right away. And as they go into the gift shop, the little boy gets down on his knees and he sees this little toy line. And he begins to play with the toy line. And he gets a few other animals. This little boy, much like my Ezra, everything's a wrestling match and just starts knocking them over because the lion's the king of the jungle. 
And they're just, he's playing, he's having a good time. The, the whole time, mom and dad are standing there going, we paid $175 for the three of us to come here. Let's go check out these animals. And the little boy's like, no, 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 no. I'm having so much fun playing with the lion. Rah, rah, rah. And mom and dad are like, but, but, but buddy, come on. We came, we came to see the real animals. No, rah, rah. Little does the boy know. Somewhere within a couple hundred yards, that very place, is the real king of the jungle. The raw king of the jungle. Probably blood on his mane from eating the raw meat, running around in all of his majesty. Perfectly tuned, perfectly created by God Almighty. He's too busy being captivated by the plastic lion that he can control. The one that he can move in whatever way that he wants to move it. The one that that jumps as he says to jump. The one that lays down when he says to lay down. And I submit to you today is that is our Christianity. We showed up here with our little toy Jesus and we said, God, I'm giving you this hour and a half. I hope Cody doesn't preach for two hours because I don't have that much time in my schedule. I hope that the spirit doesn't begin to move to where people stay and they begin to worship and revival breaks out. I don't don't have time for that. And so I'm gonna put my toy Jesus in my pocket when I'm ready to go home. You served your purpose today, toy Jesus. But the reality is, is if we come in here expecting a move of God, if we come in with with a heart that is bowed before his throne, if we submit our lives before him, he can do crazy, radical things that our minds cannot comprehend. But we've got to stop falling for the lie of the great exchange. We've got to stop suppressing the truth of God and begin to repent of our sin, to lay our little G idols down and to say, Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. I will submit to him. Today, God, I won't go to my car the same. Today, God, I'm tired of playing Christian. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm tired of acting like I'm a follower and everyone knows it's a facade. Today, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I know that this is part of the reason why our church doesn't blow up is because, man, we yell, we scream, and we talk about the challenging things that Jesus said. The truth is, Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't die to yourself, you're not my follower. And the reality is that kills me, it kills me, and it kills me, is that so many people who set their butts in seats in church are going to split hell wide open because they believe that they confessed a prayer one time, but they never changed their life. I want to tell you this, if you prayed a prayer and there was no life change, the, the redeeming work of Christ is not on your life. I want you to hear me. If you have not repented of your sins, the redeeming work of Christ is not in your life. You do not know Jesus. That doesn't feel good, but I've got to tell you that. Plastic Jesus won't get you to heaven. 
plastic Jesus won't get you out of your sin. It won't get you out of your muck. It won't get you out of the clay that your feet are stuck in. No, no, no. You need the raw, real deal, holy filled Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody worships something. What are you worshiping? The scriptures declare that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so I want to say this to you today, sinner. I want to say this to you today for a person who's been playing church, who's never surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, is that Jesus is the founder of your faith. You don't need to bring anything to the party. You just need to bring a humble and contrite heart and a mouth willing to confess that he is Lord. He is the founder of your faith. He has already paid the price. He has already paved the way. He has taken the mountain, he has squashed it, and he has made a highway. All you need to do is be submissive to him. And Christian, who's, who's been this constant backslidden state, including myself, he is the perfecter of our faith. When we are lost, when we are weary, he is constantly sustaining us. He is the perfecter. He is the reason that we can put one foot in front of the other. So I'm asking you today, what do you worship? Is it the Jesus of Nazareth or is it plastic Jesus of suburbia? It'd be real easy in this moment for me to say with every head bowed and every eye closed, but I have this this feeling that today that the Holy Spirit is doing something really crazy. And so I'm I'm gonna put it very simple with every head up, every eye as wide as it can be. I wanna ask you today, will you choose death or will you choose life? Will you choose Jesus Or will you choose the little G gods that you've been serving? Will you surrender your life to him and and not fall for the lie of the great exchange? If you say today, I need Jesus, I'm tired, I'm tired. I've never, ever truly surrendered to the Jesus of Nazareth. I've never really put my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to be so radically bold, so radically bold with every person looking to stand to your feet. Amen. Do you have the guts to say today, I'm tired of playing with plastic Jesus. I need the real one. I need the real Jesus in my life. And today, for the first time, I want to confess him as the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now. Just stand up. How about for you, saints? been living in a place where you're saying Jesus is the founder but I'm the perfecter 
Jesus is the founder of my faith, but I know best. He doesn't always give me what I need, what I want, the way I need it, the way I want it. I don't want to fall at his altar because he, he calls me sometimes to do radical things that I'm just kind of unwilling to do. Is, is that you? And, and would you say this morning, today I'm going to put my toys down and I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Jesus of Nazareth. And that's you. Would you be bold enough to say that I've fallen for the great exchange? I've fallen for the lie of the enemy. Would you stand to your feet this morning and say, today I want the Jesus of Nazareth right now the scriptures tell us that if, that, 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 that if, if we would confess our sins before our brothers then we can be healed and right now in kind of a, in kind of a corporate way of worshiping and kind of a corporate way of repenting that's you saying I have not followed Jesus as he has called me to I have not been living with the Jesus of Nazareth would you be willing right now to stand to your feet and say today I repent of that and today I choose the Jesus of Nazareth